Good morning. So, I just want you to think for a second about this question. Kind of establish in your mind what, what pops into your head right off the bat. If you think about working for the Lord, as maybe two weeks ago, as we talked about in our goals, hand to plow, getting to work for the Lord, where are you when you're doing that work? In your imagination, think about it. Where are you when you're putting your hand to the plow? Where are you when you're working for the Lord? I think it's easy for us to kind of just generalize or kind of make it a, a, a nebulous concept, working for God, but what does that actually look like? Where are you while you're doing that work? You know, sometimes we'll say about our own jobs, I have this in my own job, where we'll go out into the field, right? We'll go into the field as opposed to being not in the field. In, in my job, oftentimes I'm sitting in my nice, comfortable, chair, or maybe I've chosen to stand that day, so I'm standing at my desk, but I'm in there in the air conditioning, I'm, I'm out of the elements, I'm sitting there with all of my nerdy friends, my coworkers, writing code, typing on a keyboard, right? I'm not out in the field, but every now and again for my job, I am required to go out in the field. And that's when I get to go to lovely places like New Jersey and Yuma, and I, I say lovely because that's the nicest thing I can say about those places. They, they really are not my favorite places to be, but that's when I get to be in the field where I get to sit in a Humvee or I get to hang out with a bunch of soldiers and I get to think about what our products look like when they're actually being used. And when you think about something being in the field, that's where the action's happening. The action is not happening at my cushy desk, in my office chair, the action is happening out there in the field. So as you think about these two questions for yourself, where are you when you're out in the field? Where are you when you're working for the Lord? And what does that look like in your day-to-day -day life? I want to talk this morning about being in the field, being out in the field, putting your hand to God's work, and what does that actually look like for you? What does that look like in your life? What does that look like in my life? Because I think if we think about working for God as this nebulous and abstract concept, then it's not going to mean anything for us. Then we're not actually going to know what it is that we need to be doing. Where is the action happening? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9 is a great verse to think about when we ask the question, where is the field of our work being done? Paul says, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. He's talking there, as, as we'll explore in just a little bit here, he's talking there about this metaphor about planting and watering, how he's going out into the field as a worker. But what is the field? Who is the field? Where is the field? The field is you. The field is me. We are God's field. Now, pay no mind, he does talk about building there because he's just about to transition from talking about planting to building. But we are God's field. You are God's field. And so when you think about being out in the field, getting to work for the Lord, you might think about the field of your own heart. 
I hope you do. I hope you think about the field of your own heart. And I don't want to talk too much about it because we're going to talk in a little bit more in the second lesson from Luke chapter 8, verses 9 to 15, as Jesus explains to us how we plant the word into our hearts. Our hearts being like the field, our hearts being like the soil that the word of God is planted in. But our hearts, our lives are a field where we can work. And if you've ever, if you've ever tried to develop yourself, if you've ever tried to become a better disciple of Jesus, if you've ever tried to, to work on getting rid of bad habits and replacing them with good habits, you know that it's not always an easy place to work when you're investigating and working in your own field, in the field of your own heart. But it's not just our hearts in which we can work. That's where we start. That's a great place to start. That's probably the most important place for us to start is working inwardly. But then we need to start broadening our scope. We need to start broadening the work that we do. And we can also work in the field of our families. The field of our families. Our families are a rich and fertile field. You might think that it is required for all of us to travel to foreign lands to teach the gospel, but you have people who you can disciple in your own home. You have children. You have a spouse. You have brothers and sisters. You have parents, at the very least, who you can encourage and you can teach and you can work in that field, the field of your own family. And of course, God, God places a premium on working in our own families, doesn't he? All the way back, Deuteronomy chapter 6 is just rich with the language of how we nurture and cultivate the hearts of those in our own home. We talk about the Lord all the time with our kids. We talk about him as we go by the way, as wherever we are, we talk about the Lord. We talk about his commands. And that's not just an old-fashioned idea from back in Deuteronomy. Back in the Old Testament times, we still do that today, working in the field of our families. But we can also work in the field of the church. We're not in it alone, are we? It's not just you and God. It's not just you and God and your family, but it's also all of us together, knit together, bound together, and I think we see that kind of language in Ephesians chapter 3, the importance of how we can work together, the importance of how we can build each other up. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, that, that agricultural kind of language right there again, rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Notice there, you can comprehend it with who? With all the saints. He's talking about how we, as the church, he's going to go on in verse 21 to talk about how the glory of Christ comes in the church, how we glorify the name of God in the church, and we need to, to cultivate the church into a place that is united, as Chad talked about last week. We need to cultivate the church into a place that glorifies God and that spreads his good news into this world that we live in, so we can work in the field of our church, and we certainly will be doing that. 
this year as part of our goals. But we can also, and we should also, and we must also work in the field of our community. This is not a message that we keep to ourselves. This is not a message that we hide from other people, as Jesus would talk about there in John chapter 4, as he finished up sort of his conversation with the woman at the well, and he turns to his disciples, and they're trying to get him to eat because he hasn't eaten yet, and he says, I have food to eat that you do not understand. And then he talks about how we need to get out and understand that the fields are white with harvest. There is work to be done in the communities in which we live. And as you, as you stop and think about all of this, this, does this seem like a daunting task to anyone? <laughs> there is a lot of work to do. There's a lot of work to do in our own hearts, in our own families, within this church, and within the world in which we live. There is work to be done. And we can work in any one or all of these fields. And I think as we talk about being in the field, this is where we are. This is where we are. We are working in, really, as the big idea of this lesson, we are cultivating courageously the soil of human lives beginning with ours. That's what this lesson is all about. Understand that God has called us to courageously cultivate the soil of human hearts, starting with mine. That's important. That's a job that you've been given to do. That's a task that you've been given to do out in the field. And we all have a role in that. That's not just, that's not just my job. That's not just Sean's job. It's not the elder's job alone. It's every one of our jobs to get involved in the work in one or all of those fields in which we just talked about. So let's think about that together as we consider how God is the owner of the field. That's, I think, where we need to start with this. God owns the field. And unless we start there, I think we're off to a faulty foundation with our work. Because there are things we need to understand about God being the owner of the field. And we can see that from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 through 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Of course, he's talking there about the body and how God has purchased our body. We are like a temple of the Holy Spirit who is within us. We're not our own. God owns the field of human hearts. God owns the field of our heart, of our family's hearts, of our church, and he owns the field of the community at large. He owns this field. And why does he own it? Because he purchased it with a price. He purchased it with Christ's blood. He paid the ultimate price with Jesus' blood. As we understand the significance of that, as we start to just really understand that God owns he owns my life. He owns my family's lives. He owns this church. And he owns the world. If you step back and just zoom out, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. For the whole world. God owns it all. And I think that 
that changes the game a little bit. That changes my work, doesn't it? Doesn't it change your work when you understand that God is the owner? You think about going out into a field and doing the work of sowing and you know, planting the seed into the ground and watering the seed and, and doing all of that work. Well, if it was up to you, what would you plant? What do you like today? What do you think would be a good thing for you to plant? You know, I, I think maybe pineapples. Let's grow pineapples out in the desert. Who knows? Let's do that. That sounds fun, right? I like pineapples. Well, what if the owner of the field doesn't want to grow pineapples? But I'm out there doing what I want to do. I'm, I'm out there sowing my own seed. I'm doing the things that I want to do there. But what if I'm not listening to the owner of the field? The owner of the field is in charge. The owner of the field paid the price. The owner of the field is invested and I need to work as a hired hand in that field following the master's instructions. And that changes the game with how I approach my work because it's not about my work. It's not about my toil and my effort and my planning. It's about God who owns the field. And that, I think, helps us understand that we can't boast about our work, can we? There's nothing we can do in this work. There's nothing nothing as part of our, our effort that we can just pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, we're, we're doing a great job. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says in verse 9, or he says in verse 8, back up there, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I love this verse. Because it wraps up the idea of grace and our works in such a clear and concise way, doesn't it? We don't get to boast. It's not my field. I don't own the field. I'm not the one, own, I don't own my heart. I don't own my family. God designed the family. God designed marriage. God designed the, the relationship I have in my family. God designed me. He designed this church. And really, he designed a plan for the whole world to come back to him. And so I don't get to boast. I'm his workmanship. But I am prepared in Christ Jesus for good works. That is my job. My job and your job is to get to work in the field doing good works. But I don't get to, I don't get to raise my hand and say, I'm doing such a great job. You guys look at me. Check this out. Watch me go. Right? That's not going to fly because God owns the field. And I'm just following his instructions. I'm his workmanship. And I think, again, that changes the game when we stop to understand that God is the owner. As we talk about getting our hand to the plows, we talk about this year working for the Lord. We need to understand that this is not about us. This is all about the master. Amen. <laughs> really, this is about the master. This is not about you. And I love this point, too, when our elders decide at some point to ask us, how have you been doing with your goals? I've heard some people from time to time say, well, that's between me and God. Well, yeah, but it's not about you, is it? No one's expecting to pat you on the back for all the great work you did. They just need to make sure that they're shepherding us in a way that leads us to the goal of honoring the Lord God. And so it's not about us. God is the owner of the field. And let's remember that as we then turn our attention to getting dirty. This is where the lesson takes a little bit of a weird turn. And I, I think it's a good thing. Because 
it's hard to talk about work, and it's hard to talk about work that involves being in the field without talking about getting dirty. I mean, I'll guarantee you, I was, I was never as dirty sitting in my office chair at work as I was when I was standing out in the dusty, dirty desert, that was alliterative, of, of Yuma. I was standing out there, I was covered head to toe in dirt. And I was never as dirty sitting in my office. And when we actually get out into the field, when we actually go out and do the things that God has called us to do, we need to understand it is dirty. And to maybe illustrate that a little bit, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. When you start to look at people who have been all about being in the field, when you start to look at maybe the Apostle Paul as a good example here in 2 Corinthians 11, when you look at people who are in the field, you will definitely understand it is a dirty, dirty job. Verse 23 of 2 Corinthians 11, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger of rivers, danger of robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And that's just the physical stuff that he endured. Now let's th think about the mental anguish that he endured. Verse 28, and apart from other things, there is this daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. I love reading that verse. I love it. Because it shows me that when I get out into the world, when I get into the field of my own heart, when I start addressing the field of my own family, and when I start working in the church, it's a messy place. It's full of anxiety. It's full of, well, it's full of uncomfortable situations, isn't it? It would be so easy for me just to be comfortable and never address anyone's sins, never address my own sins, never try to teach anyone out in the world, it would be more comfortable for me to sit in the cushy environment of my office than it would be to go out in the field. Isn't that right? It's so much more comfortable just to be, be in a place where you're not challenged, where you're not pushed, where you're not encouraged, where you're not trying to encourage others, where you're not trying to push other people. Because it is not comfortable to sit across the table from your family members and say, you need to change. And I'm committed to helping you make that change. That's not comfortable. And as you see Paul's example here in 2 Corinthians 11, you don't think it was comfortable for him as he was out in the field working. Doing the work of the Lord, putting your hand to the plow is not comfortable. And not only is it not comfortable, but you're unprotected out there. You think about that. When you're out, you're in the, the elements, you're exposed, you're vulnerable. And as we understand, Satan is, is prowling about like a roaring lion. We're not in the defenses of our, of our homes and, and tucked away from him. 
We're out there. We're doing the work. And he's on the offense. He's on the attack. And it's, it can feel like we're unprotected out there. And that, that's a scary thing. But also, I think it's an uncertain place. Being out in the field is uncertain. You imagine a farmer whose, whose entire livelihood is based on the, the crop that's going to come. Does he have any control over whether or not that wheat grows? He doesn't. He can go out there and plant. He can go out there and water. But he does not know at all what's going to happen to that, that harvest. He doesn't know. It's uncertain. And I'll guarantee you, you may not know exactly how somebody's going to respond when you come to them with the gospel message. You may not know how your family is going to respond when you approach them and say, you need to change. You may not know how someone in the church is going to respond when you come and, and try to help them and work with them. You may not know. You may not know what the future looks like there, and it can be a very uncertain place. But if if uncomfortable, unprotected, and uncertain things scare you, then you're not going to be in the field. We just need to accept it. And I think this is part of counting the cost. This is part of counting the cost, to understand what is actually required of us as workers of the Lord. It's not kicking our feet up in our lazy boys doing nothing. It is getting out into the field and getting dirty. If you've ever had a tense conversation with somebody trying to teach them or trying to encourage them or trying to, to bring them back to the Lord, if you've ever had that kind of tense moment where your gut was just turning upside down and you had no idea what was going to happen, and as Paul talks about here, the anxiety that he has for all the churches, if you've ever had that moment, you know exactly how dirty the work can be. But it's, it's important work. It's important work because this is where the growth happens as Paul then talks about in that, in that section before, there in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you back up there to verse 6, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. This is where the growth happens. Right? What do you think would happen if we just didn't go out into the world? If we didn't go out and, and do the work in the field, what would happen? There would be no planting. There would be no watering. And would growth happen? It's kind of an interesting, I was reading through, the, the, by the way, if you just want to go and like search for the word sow or seed or plant or any agricultural word. Just find an agricultural word and, and go search for it. Look for the word field in the Bible. Here's an interesting one. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. Before God made man, you sort of have this cinematic view of what's going on in the world at the time. Before God makes man, and you start like panning the camera in your mind's eye across the field, and you see that, well, nothing is really growing. There's no small plants growing. And then it says, because there was no rain on the earth and there was no man to cultivate the soil. There was no one to work in the field. And so there wasn't anything growing out there. And then God made man. And his first job, 
as we understand there, was to take care of things. And we understand that that's where the growth happens, out in the field. But if we're unwilling, if we're unwilling to plant the seed, then nothing's ever going to grow there. If you're unwilling to plant the seed, then God can't pick up from that and, and make the growth happen from the work that you're doing that, or that you've chosen not to do. By the way, these three points that we're going to mention here, that's basically our goals. Okay? And if you think about our goals, that is really the focus of what we're talking about doing this year. We're talking about getting out into the field and first planting the seed. If you want to know what the seed is, we'll talk about that in the second lesson. But that's our job. Our job is to go out there and plant the seed. As Paul's talking about here in 1 Corinthians 3, I planted. And we can see what, that, what, what he's talking about there. He's introducing people to the gospel. He's going out there and teaching people about Jesus Christ and what, what salvation is all about. But that's where we need to be planting. And we can do that not only in our own hearts, but we certainly can be doing that in our family's hearts, in the hearts of those in the church, and especially the hearts of those in our community who don't yet know Jesus. Planting the seed, getting out there, because that leads to then entrenching habits. It leads to the watering and root development that comes after that. Once the seed has been planted, once the information has been shared with someone and it's been absorbed into their lives, then that's where we need to start watering. And watering is all about entrenching habits, isn't it? Isn't that what it's all about? It's all about trying to make sure that that little tiny plant establishes roots deep down into the ground and that it ain't going anywhere. And we can be doing that. We should be doing that. We absolutely must be doing that in our own hearts, especially, but in our family's hearts, in the hearts of those in our church and in the community around us. We need to be out there showing people what it's like every day to encourage, to promote the gospel, and to help people understand what they can be doing to develop a deeper and deeper relationship with Jesus. And so we're going to talk about that this year as well. And then finally, we get to the growth part of it. And this is what I love about this verse, because it's, it's God who gives the growth, right? That's what Paul says there. It's God who gives the growth in verse 6. And then he turns from there and says, Neither the one who plants or waters is anything. Again, it's that I don't have any room to boast here, right? It's God who gives the growth. God owns the field. It's up to him. God gives the growth. It's up to him. It's not me. I don't get to jump up and down and, and, and feel like I'm some really accomplished, special person. It's God who gives the growth. And that's true in, in farming just as much as it is in spiritual matters, right? A farmer, like we already talked about, can't control whether or not his crop grows. He just cannot. That's not up to him. It's always up to God. And God is the one who's going to give the growth. He's the one who's going to grow us into what we need to be. And we will then turn around and see the fruit of our labor. What does a mature Christian look like? If you are a mature Christian, what are you going to look like? when God is all done with you? What is God growing within you? What is God growing within your family? What does God want your family to look like when it's mature and bearing fruit? What does God want this church to look like? 
What does he want us all to, to be about as our main operating procedure? What does he want a mature congregation of his people to look like? What does he want the world to look like? How does he want the world to define themselves and, and direct themselves? How does he want them to be? God is the one who gives the growth, and God is the one who's going to bear the fruit. Notice, as we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, right? It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of Brian Sheely. You know, it's not the fruit of Jason Amlong. Not the fruit of Don Johnson. Although, you could find a lot of people who would probably bear some good fruit in and of themselves, but it's not our fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's God's fruit. It's God's direction. He's the one setting the standard for maturity. And he's the one defining what we should grow into. But it's where growth happens. And again, if you don't go out there and plant the seed and water the seed, the growth isn't going to happen. And if you've ever looked at yourself, I know I have from time to time, if you looked at yourself and honestly said, I'm not where I want to be. I'm not where I want to be spiritually. My family isn't where I want them to be right now. My church is not where I want it to be right now. And the world around me certainly is not where I want it to be. If you've ever asked yourself those questions or if you've, ever, if you've ever realized that that is the case, understand that you have a job to do. Again, it's not about you, but your job is very important. Planting and watering, and it's God who's going to give the growth in his time. And so... This is sort of a, an introductory lesson. Sean asked me to start off sort of the series. We're, we're starting a series about the goals that we've been presenting. And what we're going to do over the course of the years, we're going to talk about four different fields. The field of our heart, the field of our families, the field of our church, and the field of our community. And in each one of those, we're going to consider these three different goals, these three different things that we can do that we can plant in those fields, we can water in those fields, and we can watch as God gives the growth in those fields. And so each of these lessons throughout this whole year, that's what we're going to be focused on, and I hope these things are encouraging for you, because as we see, there is a lot of work to do. Are you ready for the work? Are you ready for the work? Because it is, as we've already talked about, it's a lot of work. The scope is huge. The job is, is important, but it's work that we all can do as we sing that song. It's work that we all can do. It's not above our pay grade. It's not work that's just mind-blowing and you need some college degree to do it. God has given us all the tools we need to do the work, simply planting and watering. and He'll take care of the rest. So take out your songbooks, turn to the number that's been announced, appreciate your attention. As we Think about the invitation this morning. I do want to say that God is very concerned with growth. He's very concerned with fruit bearing. And you can see throughout the Bible, there are examples after examples after examples where Jesus specifically talks about demanding that fruit be produced. If the tree doesn't produce fruit, as John talks about in Matthew 3, verse 10, the axe is laid at the foot of the tree. The axe is there ready. And every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I didn't want to end this lesson with a fire and brimstone message, but I think it's appropriate. Because John, as he started out, as before Jesus' ministry even began, John was encouraging people, 
to repent. And that's what I'm encouraging you to do. Because if you're not willing to bear fruit for the Lord, then he's ready to cut you down. And I don't want to see that for you. I certainly don't want to see that for me. So if you're ready to give your life to the Lord this morning, please come forward as we stand and sing.